revolutionary talk for revolutionary times. Promoting peace, liberty, and prosperity around the clock. LibertyTalk.fm. Good morning. Welcome to Medicine on Call. Thanks for joining me. I have a very special guest today who's taking us in a little bit different uh, direction. You know, financial health, I believe, is one of the most important underpinnings of emotional health. There's so many stresses on us. One of them is our economics, you know, whether we can make our mortgage, whether we can pay for our children's school, whether we can pay our bills, take vacations. These are really important things. And when everything's working like it should, it's smooth. But when it's not, it's extremely stressful. And there's, you know, our economy is doing very well right now. I think that's definitely better than it was back in 2008. I remember that downturn. It affected my practice dramatically. But what we, what I think that we really need to concentrate on is not what's now, but what's in the future. And I was at the Red Pill Expo a couple of months ago, and I met somebody who I was, I learned a, a great deal from, and he's, you know, gracious enough to come on the show and give us some information. And one of the things that I want to start off our show is a quote that's from an, a booklet that I read. I mean, he has a, a lot of financial information, and it's extremely timely. It's extremely important. And Mr. Michael Cobb is my guest today. He's the chairman and CEO of ECI Development. And when I read the booklet, I read a quote that I think everybody should be aware of. It's estimated from, or I think it's Ernst & Young, that 60% of retirees will outlive their financial assets, which is a huge amount. And financial health is what we're going to talk about today. And Mr. Cobb has, you know, he has a company that is all about solutions. And people need to think outside the box. Doing the same thing, expecting a different result is not work, not going to work for folks. And if 60% of us are going to be financially unstable, maybe we should start looking at what we can do now to make positive change so that we don't get into that situation. So, Mr. Cobb, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. I'm looking forward to our conversation. I know my listeners are, too. Just to get us started, how did you come to this, and how did you start your business? Wow. Uh, Dr. George, thanks for having me on. It, it's, uh, you know, it's wonderful to be able to get in and, and talk a little bit about you know, uh, you know, the, the kinds of topics that you just mentioned. I think you, you hit the nail on the head that you know, emotional health um, really you know, has a foundational support in financial health because you know, whenever, we're, whenever we're stressed about money, we're stressed. I mean, I think that's the, mm-hmm. you know, the, the key issue. And so, you know, planning ahead and, and, and being a good scout, boy scout or a girl scout, you know, you be prepared. Um, that is, that is a, a foundational support to emotional health. Um, I think we can relax when we, when we feel like we're prepared for whatever comes down the pike. But um, no, it's great to be on your show. Thank you. Um, you know, how I got involved was, uh, you know, I was, uh, you know, I grew up in western Pennsylvania, went to college in northwest Pennsylvania, and ended up in the D.C. area right after school, and, and I got into the computer business, and, 
I just got lucky. I fell in on the PC side of things, and this was 1986. And as you know, maybe we remember back then we had you know XTs and 286s and 386s. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember those or not. Uh, I do. But anyway, but the uh, uh, but it was a very fortunate time to be on the PC side of the business. Um, and and I like to to say that it was a revolutionary time in the computer business because you had these upstart little you know desktops or or you know personal computer PCs that some people were claiming were going to be the way of the future and then you had these big you know mainframe companies deck and and uh, you know Honeywell and IBM and others who were saying oh you got to be kidding me these little PC things will never you know never take over you got to be kidding me well I mean you know we know what happened right that mm-hmm. that, that, that you know the PC uh, you know is the way of the world today, and, and even that's going away now. We're into other things, but um, but it was a very revolutionary time in the in the computer business, um, and and the same thing has really happened in the development space overseas. Um, you know, back in the you know 60s and 70s, if you know if you went to Mexico, and that's where most people went in the 60s and 70s when they retired south of the border, they literally just you know they went across the border, and whether it was Tijuana or you know, Nogales or, or, you know, maybe San Miguel or, or someplace like that, you know, that was where people went. But, but in the 80s, we started to see, and in the 90s, for sure, this revolutionary change in the, in the retirement and overseas uh, uh, space. And people started going to places like Costa Rica or Panama or Belize. Uh, and then, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s, you know, Nicaragua and Ecuador. And, and so uh, th- th- this movement south you know, started to evolve. Well, back in the mid-90s, I uh, had gone to Belize for my very first uh, visit there in 1994. Uh, I ended up buying a property, a rental property. In fact, it's kind of interesting, Dr. George, my very first rental property was in Belize, overseas, offshore. My first real estate investment was actually offshore. Um, but I bought a condo and started renting it out and, and quickly realized that there was an, uh, just a world of opportunity outside the United States uh, for entrepreneurial activity. And, and uh, so, uh, you know, I, I started a little mortgage company. We provided a lot of financing to North Americans who wanted to buy property in Belize, uh, specifically at the time, because, you know, honestly, it, it's incredible. We don't think about these kinds of things. Uh, one of the quotes that's in that booklet that you uh, have there that, that I really like is, you know, we don't know what we don't know Mm -hmm. Uh, we don't know what we don't know and and so so many developers went to Belize and other parts of the region thinking that you know if I build a you know a condo complex you know I'm gonna sell these condos and 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 what they didn't know was there was no mortgage money so when a North American consumer came down he said hey I'll put you know I'll put 25% down and and I want to borrow you know I want to borrow 75% or whatever put 10% down borrow 90% whatever it was no bank in the United States or Canada would lend money on collateral in Belize, and the banks in Belize wouldn't lend money to foreigners. And so you had this huge hole in the marketplace where you know the developers didn't know what they didn't know, but now they were stuck. They built a bunch of condos. Uh, they either had to you know demand full payment or they had to do self-financing. And so what happened was, as many of them did their you know, self-financing, you know, they'd get a customer to put you know, 20 30% down, whatever they could get down, and they would finance the rest. The problem for the developers was they could not sustain their operations. They couldn't continue building condos and developing with you know, a payment of $850 a month or whatever that mortgage payment was. 
So we started a little mortgage company. We, we went around and we helped finance uh, you know, sales of product for developers. Uh, we bought a bunch of paper and, and ultimately we turned that uh, uh, mortgage company into a bank in Belize as well. So um, you know, I did help start a bank in Belize. We're still basically a, a mortgage bank. That's what we do. Our business is to provide mortgages to North Americans. But it was my first toe in the water. Um, by 1998, I, I, I just said, you know what, there's so much opportunity in this part of the world. I got to go full time. We, we bought a small resort on Ambergris Key, Belize. Um, that was 1998, and in 2000, we bought a huge piece of property uh, called Grand Pacifica with three and a half miles of Pacific Ocean. Um, we ended up buying property in Costa Rica and Panama, additional properties in Belize. And since uh, you know, since 98, I've been full time working in the region on the development side of the business, uh, you know, building homes and, and condos and and resort communities for for North Americans who you know want to live overseas. But but you touched on it at the beginning, and I'm gonna I'm gonna stop here. Um, but you know, the, the the key element for us was building an affordable product for middle class North Americans because so much of what's built in the region is expensive, mm-hmm. beautiful gorgeous, high-end, you know, kind of the stuff that would show up on the cover of Architectural Digest magazine, but it costs, you know, half a million dollars, a million dollars, two million dollars, whatever. Um, you know, we decided we would focus on middle-class product that starts right around 100000 goes up to three, three fifty. Um, again, very, very nice product. It, 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 it can be luxurious, um, and it's uh, very, very affordable and, and within the reach of, of so many more North Americans who, you know, won't have great choices, as you say, you know, as, as, you know, as they start to realize this, this savings gap uh, that, that they're, you know, facing. In fact, that, that savings gap, by the way, in 2013 mm-hmm. was about $7.5 trillion, uh, according to Forbes magazine. So it, it's a very serious serious uh, brick wall that, that many uh, U.S. and Canadian retirees are about to, you know, hit hard when, when that realization of, you know, they've, they've stopped working, their income has stopped, and, you know, Social Security uh, and, and whatever pension they might have isn't going to cover the kind of, you know, cost of living uh, for, the, for the kind of quality of life that they always imagined. So um, it, it is a serious issue, and, 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 and thank you for for you know, getting your listeners to be aware of it. I think this is an, an incredibly important thing that you're doing. Well, it's everybody's going to go through it. I don't care if you're a millennial or if you're about to retire. Correct. You know, everybody's got blinders on, and I'm, you know, I'm guilty of that. You just go next step in front of the other. You're working. You know, you're not putting away as much as you should put away. I mean, then reality starts to hit when you start getting closer to what what happens when I do stop working. And I'm I think you're right. Most people are depending on Social Security, and I'm not sure that's going to be able to handle paying your mortgage or buying food or anything. God forbid you have something untoward that happens. You have to come up with a lot of money. That's going to be catastrophic, I think, economically for a lot of people who are not thinking ahead. It, it, it is. You're, you're absolutely right. And, and, and you know, it, 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 what it's going to force people to do, if, if some, some will, unfortunately, I think most won't, but, but some will, it'll get them thinking outside the box. And, 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 and when they think outside the box, then, you know, then the kinds of 
you know, opportunities to do things differently, whether it's to, you know, move south of the border or, um, you know, engage in, 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 in uh, the kinds of communities that, that have, you know, interdependence and support, you know, within the U.S. and, mm-hmm. and Canada. Um, yeah, there are outside-the-box opportunities. Not not all of them are, are international, so to speak. Um, I, I personally like the independence and the freedom of of being outside the United States. Um, you know, uh, you know, in, in that in that circumstance. But but there are. You know, I hate to use the word communal, but there are communal living arrangements in the U.S. that will support. You know, uh, people who don't have the kinds of resources that they hope they'd have. Um, I, I don't want to end up in one of those. I want to. I want to live free, and, mm-hmm. and 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 you know, people can do that south of the border on a lot less money uh, than they can in the U.S. And and in fact, in many countries, Ecuador is, is one great example. Um, you know, you can if if you have if you have a home that you've paid for. And, and homes there, depending on where you are, but you can you can get a home for you know fifty, seventy five, a hundred thousand dollars, a small apartment, condo kind of thing. Um, if you have a home that's paid for, um, you can actually live pretty well in Ecuador for less than a thousand dollars a month. In utilities, you don't need a lot. You know, depending again where you live. If you live in the cool weather climate, you know the temperatures at night are. 60, 70 degrees, temperatures in the daytime are 80, so mm-hmm. you don't ever really need heat, you don't need air conditioning. Um, uh, food is, is very inexpensive, um, and in many cases it's, it's very high quality organic food, and it, and it costs less than the, the packaged food that, that you would you know, normally buy in the U.S. So um, some countries like Ecuador, um, even a country like Nicaragua, which is unfortunately facing some some very tough, uh, you know, civil unrest at the mm-hmm. moment. Um, it's a domestic issue. It's not affecting tourists or foreigners um, in, in any way. But um, but you know, a country like Nicaragua, Ecuador, uh, very very inexpensive uh, places to live on a fixed budget like a Social Security. Um, you know, other countries, Costa Rica, Panama, Belize, a little bit more expensive, but but still far less than than any comparable uh, U.S city or location that would have you know the same kinds of amenities and infrastructure and, and geography. I think it's really important to think about your quality of life. I mean, what you're yeah. just describing is it's pretty dramatic to live on a thousand dollars a month and not have to sacrifice. Just think about right. that concept for a minute. Let's take our first break and I want to explore that further with some real numbers when we come back. You're listening okay, to sure. Medicine on Call. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. Um, we're speaking today with Mr. Mike Cobb. He's the CEO and uh, uh, the chairman of ECI Development. And before the break, Mike, we were talking about quality of life. And I wanted to put some numbers. You gave some teasers about what it's like to live in, in, in South America. But I, looking at your pamphlet, or your brochure, sorry, you were talking about $2 an ounce for steak. And I mean, we're not talking about eating ramen noodles here. We're talking about eating well, living well, living off a golf course, if that's your your sport of choice, for like $160,000 for a property. I mean, this is really a difference in actually being able to upgrade in a lot of, lot of ways, isn't it? Yeah, um, it, it, it is. And, um, you know, I... I, there, I I like to kind of present this as as two things, right? That the, there's the the cost of acquisition, mm-hmm. right? So, so the cost to buy a property, 
um, and then the cost of living once you own your property. And, and I, I want to make this uh, point, and, and um, you, you mentioned that you know, your, your father's in Antigua, and, and you know, he, he owns his own place, um, so he already had you know, the, the property, right? So, mm-hmm. so his Social Security, his pensions you know, goes towards cost of living. And, and there are some folks uh, who, who don't have, I guess, the critical mass or the lump sum um, to actually make a purchase, right, to actually come through and, and make a purchase of a property. And so the, the one thing I would point out before we kind of get into the cost of acquisition, cost of living, is that, you know, for, for, for folks that don't have a lump sum, that, that's not the end of the process. Um, it, it, it's actually very, very affordable. Uh, in many of these uh, countries and, and locations and cities uh, throughout Latin America to actually rent a place um, that, that's very nice. Um, again, a condo or an apartment, they usually call them apartments rather than condos, but, but renting an apartment, renting a condo, renting a home in some cases uh, can be very, very affordable. And um, and then, you know, it, it certainly eats into whatever that fixed income, whether it's a Social Security, pension, mm-hmm. combination of both. Um, but again, for, for many people, uh, the ability to rent and uh, sustain a cost of living is very, very doable uh, throughout South America. So, so I just put that point out there because we're going to talk about the, you know, the cost of acquisition and then the cost of living. But, but if uh, for folks that want to rent, um, in fact, this sounds crazy coming from a development company. Um, our company develops, you know, real estate for sale. Um, but one of the things that we highly recommend, you know, everybody do when they when they first move overseas um, for three months or six months or even a year. But but three to six months is about the right amount of time is to actually rent before they buy. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, again, you know, we obviously are in the business to sell real estate, but if somebody comes down and rents for three months or six months, you know, and they love it, you know, we're certainly happy to show them properties that might be a good fit for them to own, you know, six months from now or, or whenever that, or a year from now. Um, but, but if they're not happy or, or they want to go back to the States or Canada or they want to Try a different country. Mm-hmm. Um, they haven't. They haven't spent a lot of, uh, you know, time, money, and effort to actually, you know, take ownership of a property and then have to sell it. Uh, you know, and, and that costs money both ways. I mean, they're closing costs and sales costs, and so uh, renting is is extremely uh, smart, wise, and prudent uh, for for three to six months before you know before somebody buys a property overseas. So we're, we're big advocates of that. That's a great um, point. Yeah, and, and, and rentals can be uh, you know, fairly inexpensive. I mean, you can rent a, a mansion on the beach and pay a lot of money, but but you can be a couple, three blocks off the beach. Um, you know, we you know we have uh, uh, condo apartments about two blocks off the water, and they rent for about eight hundred dollars a month on Ambergris Key, which is a Caribbean island, and 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 and, and there are, you know you can find less than that too. I mean, so uh, again, very very affordable to, to rent. But you know, the cost of acquisition, uh, Doctor George, is something that that people get hung up on, and 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 I want to put this out there just you know, hard, really hard up front. You know, a lot of times people imagine that because they're going to a, a developing country where labor is really cheap, that you know that they're going to be able to buy a home or a condo for a lot less money than they would buy something in, in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and you know, if you're buying something that was built in the '50s or '60s. Um, you can find a deal on product like that, but but if you're looking for a new or a relatively new built product, here's the thing to keep in mind: concrete, steel, windows, doors, electrical wire, plumbing fixtures, all of the things that make up a house 
okay, are priced at world price. Like, there's no discount on cement in Belize or Costa Rica or Panama. Cement mm-hmm. is a world price product, as are you know, almost every component that goes into the building of a, of a home or a condo. The only variable is labor, and labor is about a third of the cost to build, uh, you know, uh, build a, a product, a home or a condo. And so you can expect to pay, you know, maybe 10 or 15 percent less for the similar apples to apples kind of product, um, you know, overseas in Latin America as you do in the U.S. Um, and, 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 and certainly some states, California, it's a high regulatory environment. There are a lot of regulatory cost loads put onto a building product. But, um, but, but again, sort of average U.S. prices, prices overseas, maybe, maybe 15% less would be a good number, which seems surprising because you think, oh, my goodness, I, I, I'm going to Belize or Costa Rica or Panama or Ecuador. It should be a lot less. Mm-hmm. It's not because of that, that reality. Um, if it is a lot less, then I would suggest it's not really an apples-to-apples kind of you know, product comparison. In fact, that's where our consumer resource guide becomes so important with the 15 questions and the checklist to say, you know, is every bathroom plumbed for hot water? I mean, Dr. George, there's something that we would just assume as a North American consumer, mm-hmm. you know, that, that every bathroom has hot water going to it. But in reality, in Latin America, maybe the master bedroom does and every other bathroom doesn't. And so... You know, if you know this going in up front, and that's okay, you know, buy the, buy the home, buy the condo. But if you want hot water in every bathroom, you need to make sure that's the case. And, and so when you see big discrepancies in price between a U.S. price and an, and, an, and an offshore price, usually there's a reason, a fundamental, substantive reason that that's the case. And, and, and again, as North Americans, we, we don't know what we don't know, and we make assumptions. But, um, you know, good, good, good questions and, and good um, you know, guides and, and, and checklists and things like that can help us ask better questions, the right questions, to make sure we're getting what we want. But, but to get on to the, to the cost of living side, because that, I think that's, you know, where we were going with this, you know, I, I'll give you a couple examples. I lived in Managua, Nicaragua, the capital of Nicaragua, for 14 years, uh, raised a family there, raised two daughters there. And, uh, um, you know, just a couple examples. Uh, you know, we had a, uh, we had friends who owned a coffee plantation up in the mountain. And, and the other thing they did was they raised, they had a, a resort as well. So it was a coffee plantation resort. It's up in the cloud forest. Spectacular. I mean, just howler monkeys and, you know, all kinds of stuff going on. It was neat. But they also raised um, organic fruits and vegetables. Uh, they had their own cows. They produced eggs and cheese and beef and all kinds of stuff, um, pork. And, and, and so um, the, uh, uh, the family would, would come to Managua once a week. They'd send their driver once a week to Managua with a van load or a truck load of coffee sacks filled with organic fruits and vegetables. And the driver would drive around Managua and come to your house and give you a, a coffee sack. If you can imagine, I mean, it's bigger than a grocery sack, right? I don't mm-hmm. know, it's, you know, whatever, foot and a half in diameter and, you know, three feet tall kind of thing, right? Coffee sack, right? Full of organic fruits and vegetables. It was delivered to our house every Tuesday morning, and it was $8. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, like... I, I like. I mean, have you been down to Whole Foods lately? I like to call it Whole Patriot. Yeah, I but, stopped going because uh, it was so expensive. <laughs> right? I mean, I, I can't even imagine a coffee sack, you know, a grocery bag or a couple grocery bags worth of organic fruits and vegetables. I mean, that'd be, 
easy, a hundred bucks, it might be 150 bucks. I don't know what it would be, it'd be a lot of money. Oh, yeah. I mean, every Tuesday delivered to our house, $8, and we couldn't eat it all. We'd give it to our maid and, and you know, whatever. I mean, it, it was just incredible. Um, and, and they would always, we'd always add eggs and, and cheese and sometimes beef, and, and you talk about that $2 a pound, and, mm-hmm. and, and right, I mean, just prime cuts of beef and, and pork and chicken, just so inexpensive, and, and free range, Non, you know, non steroided and, you know, and, and hormone and all that kind of stuff. Sure. I mean, it, it, it was just the, so for me, the essence of health and quality of life are intimately tied together. And so our family could eat this incredible produce and meats and cheeses that were organic and non tainted, and it cost a fraction, a, a tiny fraction of what it would cost to eat in a similar manner in the U.S., um, you know, and, and so for us, when I talk about quality of life, that that's, that's a big, big part of it uh, because it certainly ties into your passion, which is, which is health. And, and, Definitely. And, um, you know, and, and, and without our health, we have nothing. Um, so, so to me, it, it was probably the, the single largest piece of our quality of life. But, you know, but the other side of it is, is community. And, and the ability to go and, 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 you know, enjoy the company of other people, whether you're eating out at a very affordable restaurant, going to the movies. I mean, to go see a U.S. first-run movie in English was uh, about $2.70, I think, and, you know, a, a big giant thing of popcorn, um, you know, a couple bucks or whatever. I mean, we'd go to the movies as a family. We'd have popcorn. We'd get a few bottles of water, and, 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 and the whole thing would be less than $20 uh, for, for four of us. I mean, I, I mean I'm taking my daughter to see Mission Impossible tonight, and, and probably just the two of us is going to be, you know, 40 bucks by the time we get in the movie and eat some popcorn and drink a couple bottles of water. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so, so these kinds of social things, uh, if you like to play tennis and you like to play golf, you want to belong to a sporting club, you know, go do yoga. Um, my wife did the yoga thing uh, as well, and she had a bunch of friends there. And, and, and our daughters were in ballet and gymnastics, and they were Girl Scouts. And, and so we, we had this incredibly rich social life as well. And the cost for those uh, activities uh, w- was far, far less across the board uh, than it would have been in the U.S. So, again, from the, from the health standpoint, the eating standpoint, and then from the social standpoint, to me, those two things uh, really are, 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 are the heart and soul of, of quality of life. And, and, and both deliver, you know, incredible benefit for a lot lost less money. Um, did, did I answer that question okay, Dr. George? I'm sorry, I went off no, a little tangent I, there. but I think I'm actually sorry. you answered the question, but you also gave people a flavor of what it could be like. And as an, as an American citizen, not feeling like you were from a, I guess, you didn't feel alienated. You were still enjoying every aspect of what you wanted to do. Children Absolutely. going to school, going to the movies, very social. I mean, it's so you're not stuck in a community where... You only have to be amongst yourselves. And I mean, for me, that's that's not why I want to move out of the country would be to soak up the local culture, to be a part of it and not be, you know, how can I put it? You're not no one's looking at you as foreigners coming in, trying to take over their country. That's not what's going on. Correct. No, and and you know th- there's some of that, um, you know, but but by and large, most uh, most North Americans who come to you know Central and South America or the Caribbean, you know, that they, they want to be engaged, and 
you know, we, we take a little bit of flack sometimes because, you know, we built a gated community kind of North American style in terms of, you know, amenities and infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's really interesting is that, you know, last, last I checked, it was 22, almost 23 percent of our property owners um, at Grand Pacifica were, were Nicaraguans. And, 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 and the, 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 the interesting thing there is, is that, you know, a lot of times people say, I don't want to be in a gated community. But, but if, you're not in a, if you're not in an established kind of modernized community, you're going to have real problems with infrastructure, like your water systems, your waste systems. Um, you know, internet. I mean, how, how are you going to get good internet? Although that that actually is getting easier and easier today with with satellite technology, but but it can be expensive. And so, um, you know, and in the sense of community, if you live out in the country, you know, how are you going to get to know your neighbors? What are you going to do? So, um, we've found that by by creating these nucleuses, these neighborhoods, as we like to call them, because they are neighborhoods. Um, you know, they tend to attract locals as well as foreigners because it produces a great quality of life and it creates community um, for everyone. And so, um, you know, this is a big part of our business methodology is to create these, you know, integrated communities uh, where, uh, you know, foreigners, wherever they may be from, North America, Europe, Asia, Mm -hmm. um, mostly North American in our case, um, that we have a ton of, you know, local, participation, ownership, and engagement uh, as well. And, and, then, and then the other element that really ties in well to this community aspect and, and also quality of life is you know, the ability to do uh, service work, whether you join a rotary club or get involved with a church um, or, or work with an NGO. I mean, there are lots of ways to plug in uh, and, and make a difference and, and find significance in your life. Uh, overseas as well and and you know when you're retired presumably you have lots of free time on your hands and so you know the ability to you know put some of that time to, to good use and and make a difference in people's lives and, and you know and when you join the rotary club or or the lions club or kiwanis or you know join a church or or work with you know an ngo or, or some you know organization um you're going to meet lots of new people who share similar values and and, and and concerns and cares that you do and and and, and that's the basis of, of you know a peer relationship and, and a friendship ultimately uh, and so you, you start to build these relationships and friendships uh, in the local community that transcend you know where you live specifically mm-hmm. um, and and become part of the greater bigger community you know of a country or a region or a city um, and and that's you know to me that that's a you know, it's an important sort of second step, you know, once you figure out where you're going to be and you get settled in, you know, that that's a nice second step to, to plug in, so to speak. I think that's a good place to stop. Let's take a break. You're listening to Medicine on Call. health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. 
Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. We're speaking to Mr. Mike Cobb, the CEO of ECI Development Limited. And, you know, we talked briefly at the beginning of the show, and we talked about retirees, but this is also a investment opportunity, isn't it? So if you're younger and you, you know, you're not close to retirement, but you can actually enter this, this environment and start renting out property and making money, is that one other strategy that you can use? Absolutely. In fact, uh, I mentioned it earlier, but my very first, you know, rental property investment was in Belize in, in 1994. Um, yeah, the, the region is ripe with opportunity for folks who want to, uh, you know, be, you know, uh, buy property, rent property, uh, be entrepreneurial in many cases. Um, you know, and 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 there are a lot of you know ways to look at investment. Um, you know, for investment specifically, I'm a huge fan of Belize. Um, you know, one of the one of the charts that's in that consumer resource guide is this this graph that that you know it's an S curve, right? And, and mm-hmm. starts low on the left side and goes high on the right side. Uh, and and I've put countries or locations of countries along this this you know this curve. And and how I did it, Dr. George, was I just simply said to myself, where do people from North America take their honeymoons, right? Where do people take their honeymoons? And, you know, a country like Nicaragua is not very popular. A country like Costa Rica and specifically the the Guanacaste Peninsula and the the Pacific side is very, very popular. And so, you know, you've got the the two ends of the spectrum in Central America. um, And then you've got countries that kind of fall somewhere in the middle. And Belize falls smack dab in the middle of this curve. And to me, that's the sweet spot of the curve for this reason. The country is popular enough. Tons of people taking their honeymoons there. Celebrities are coming there. Uh, Bill Gates was there looking at property about a year ago. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio bought an island and is building a, a resort there. Um, you know, I mean, so it's, it's, it's attracting, you know, the, the big you know, celebrity class. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cruise ships have been landing there for about 15 years, uh, dropping off, you know, tens of thousands of people every week who have, you know, toured the country for a day and love it. And so Belize is becoming more and more popular. Um, and, and the market itself is changing from this boutique market of people who came originally to dive and to fish. That was that was the market for many years. When I first went there, you would just see tons of people who were divers and tons of fishermen, and, and that was about it. You didn't see families. Um, today, you see tons of families, uh, young people, uh, you know, old people, um, and the whole range of, of, of just what I would call mainstream tourists. So it's become very, very popular. So it's climbed this curve, and and it's now in the middle of the popularity curve. But here's the opportunity. The opportunity is that the type of product 
to serve a mainstream tourist, you know, sort of your typical North American tourist, is just in its infancy uh, of being produced. And, and our company was able to uh, secure a deal with Marriott Corporation. Um, we are building a, a Marriott Hotel on Ambergus Key uh, right now. And, um, you know, this type of product, a Marriott type of product, a Hilton type of product, a, you know, a high type of mainstream tourist product is in high demand, yet it doesn't exist uh, on the island. The Hilton just opened at the beginning of this year. And so, you know, our Marriott will open in, in about two and a half years. Um, and so, uh, you know, the, the, the demand for this product is there. The availability of that product is limited. And so for folks who are looking for an investment opportunity to be able to come in and provide, you know, that type of product for the evolution of the tourist who is now coming to the island. I mean, Southwest uh, opened up about three years ago, uh, one flight. They're up to two flights a day now. Um, you know, United, Delta, American are all coming in, WestJet out of Canada. So airlift has doubled. The discount carriers are there. Mm-hmm. And the type of product that's in the marketplace um, has been, you know, great up till now. But, but the market has changed and the product is now beginning to change. So, right. So for, for somebody looking for an uh, investment, uh, you know, certainly Belize, Ambergus Key, Belize, which is a, one of the small little islands off the coast, um, you know, it is definitely the place to look. Uh, you know, Ambergris Key, interestingly, it's, you know, it's a tiny little island. It's about a mile wide, 26 miles long, um, but it produces about 70% of all the tourism revenue uh, for the country of Belize. So I think it's sort of like, you know, getting your location right. If you're looking to serve that tourist market, you know, Ambergris Key would be, you know, certainly where you'd want to be. Um, you know, and, and that's, uh, you know, that's one type of investment. You know, the other type of investment that people are starting to really pay attention to, um, and, and this is more popular with, you know, a younger audience set, um, millennials and, and, you know, and Gen Xers, Gen Yers, um, are forestry products. Um, you know, one of, the, one of the best investments, you know, over the centuries has been forestry. Uh, and, you know, back in 1999, uh, I went to Panama and I planted 100 acres of teak. Uh, for myself, for my family, it was a small group of investors, and we we just planted this teak because we knew that in 25 years, you know, we would you know, be happy we did it. And you know, here we are, 19 years later, and I got to say, I'm really happy I planted that teak. And and so we've opened up uh, forestry opportunities uh, for folks as well as a company. Um, it's a much more long-term cycle investment, um, but the yields are spectacular. And for someone in their, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s, you know, a 25-year time frame, uh, you know, works just fine and, and, and helps, you know, and, 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 you know, we talked about this at the very beginning. But, but you know, I mean, if, if somebody's looking for a way to have, you know, significant assets when they hit retirement at 60, 65, 70, uh, and they're in their, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s, even 50s uh, now, um, you know, forestry products and teak specifically is something that I think folks should take a very, very serious look at. Um, but it's, it's a different kind of investment. It's, uh, you know, again, it, it, it's, uh, it's not for everyone, but, but for folks who can kind of get past the, you know, the long-term cycle, uh, which is a hard psychological hurdle for many people to get over. But, but if you can get over that hurdle and look at the facts, um, yeah, forestry and teak is, is a great, great investment class. Uh, to examine. 
Well, can you be more specific? How does that work? What's the investment and what are you investing in exactly? Sure. Um, with the forestry, what you, what you end up doing is you end up buying uh, a piece of property. You know, we, we have a company that plants and manages uh, teak plantations. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we every year we go out and we plant. Um, I, don't know, I think in the last couple of years we planted 40 more acres. Uh, this year I think we're going to plant maybe 35, 40 acres of teak. Um, and then we break it up into, uh, you know, parcel sizes of anything from a half a hectare, which is about an acre and a quarter, up to a hectare, which is two and a half acres. Um, you know, so we, we break it up. It's titled. You own the land. You own the trees. Uh, you know, we'll take care of it for you. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and in 25 years when there's a harvest, um, you know, we, uh, you know we, we get about 20, I think it's 20 percent of the profit. Um, so we're very clearly aligned with the interests of our uh, of our property owners. I mean, if if we get more money, you know, at the point of sale, then you know the owner gets more money because we get twenty percent of whatever they get. Um, so we've set it up so that you know our interests are aligned uh, with the individual investors. But in the end, they they own the land, they own the trees, uh, and you know, in twenty five years. Uh, you know, we'll come in and we'll we'll do a massive harvest uh, of of anyone who wants their trees cut. There's no obligation; they're your trees. You can mm-hmm. let them grow another 25 years, or you know, when we do the when we do the the harvest, we'll cut them down and then we replant. Um, and you know, that's a great time, by the way, uh, when when there are no trees. So after the after the harvest, you know, for a period of about a year, um, you know, there there are no trees on the property. Um, that's a great time to pass the asset on to the next generation. So if, if you did it and maybe you're in your 30s and you have very small children and you don't have kids, mm-hmm. um, you know, 25 years from now at the harvest, you know, now you've got a couple acres of property with no trees on it. You uh, you pass that asset off to your kids or even skip a generation and, you know, title it in the name of your grandkids. Uh, the property is replanted and in 25 years, the kids or grandkids, um, you know, get the next harvest. So. It's uh, it's pretty spectacular, and so just to give you an idea about a, a sixty thousand dollar investment, um, which is uh, a hectare, which is two and a half acres, um, should you know at, at you know projections, historic projections, looking at you know a hundred years of peak history, um, and and what that you know what that is, uh, produces a little over a million dollar uh, payout. Uh, 25 years. So it's a significant return. Mm-hmm. Um, again, the psychological challenge for a lot of people is simply that there's no liquidity. Like if you buy this teak parcel, you own it, the trees are growing, and, and there's really nothing you can do with it. You can't sell it. I mean, you could sell it. You can sell it to anyone you want to. It's yours. Sell it. Right. But it's hard to find a buyer for, for something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but in 25 years, when the harvest happens, it's a huge return. Um, and then again, you replant it, and 25 years later, you know the next generation gets the, the next harvest and the next payout. So, um, it, it's a neat, neat investment for, especially for generational wealth stewardship and what I call legacy investments. They're really geared to be, you know, part of a family foundation or family trust for, for multiple generations. Gotcha. Let's let's yeah. take our, our last break because I want to talk about Panama when we come back. Um, okay. You're listening to Medicine on Call.
Welcome back to Medicine on Call. We're speaking with Mr. Mike Cobb, the CEO of ECI Development Limited. And this is really exciting, Mike, because you're giving ordinary people, people who aren't multi-multi-millionaires, the ability to pass generational wealth to their loved ones. How many people can say that? And it's really difficult to do it now because... God forbid, from a medical perspective, if you get sick and you end up in a Medicare system or Medicaid, you'll have to pay, your, your, your estate will have to pay the government back for any medical care given, which literally saps wealth from families. It's really sad, actually. Yep. Then you have it, this it reverse, what is it, reverse mortgages, where yep. people are actually taking out the money of their house, but they can't pass it to their loved ones either. So nope. this is a whole different mentality, and I think an affordable one, if you think about the return that you just described, it's, it's worth it. it. It is, and in fact, uh, a, a lot of folks actually just come right out of the gates and buy a, a parcel and title it in the name of a kid or a grandkid mm-hmm. so, that, so that you're already skipping a generation or two. Um, you know, with, with the uh, the benefit of, of that asset ownership. So, yeah, lot, lots of ways to, to look at this. And, uh, uh, in, in, in fact, um, uh, you, you mentioned Panama and wanting to talk mm-hmm. about Panama. And if I could just segue into that for a second, and, and you can ask uh, whatever. But, um, you know, the, the, the plantation in Panama actually has been set up in such a way uh, that it offers the ability to get a uh, second residency uh, in conjunction with the teak ownership. And so there, there's actually a, another benefit to, to the teak ownership besides the, you know, the, the generational wealth stewardship and the, and the return uh, that, that somebody would get you know, at the sale of the teak. Um, and that is the, the second uh, residency. And that's a reason a lot of people are, are looking at the teak uh, you know, investment because it gives them the ability to get a residency in Panama. And you, you don't have to give up a U.S. or Canadian residency. You just, you just end up with a second residency. Um, and it's very, very affordable and it's very, very easy to keep. So uh, there's sort of the other benefit to the, to the teak as well. I just wanted to throw that out there and segue into Panama a little bit too. Well, that's you're, you're talking about getting a citizenship, right? When you say residency, you can have a second passport. Is that what well, you're saying? That's that's a little different. That the passport oh, okay. and citizenship are, are one further step beyond residency. Okay. Um, it, if we think about residency in U.S. terms, what we're really talking about is a green card. Okay. And right. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and for, for, for many Americans who, who are concerned about liberty and freedom, and I know uh, that you are, we, we met at the Red Pill uh, Expo there in, in Spokane a few weeks ago. And, and you know, and, and liberty and freedom is, is critically important. And, you know, and, and this idea, I think Americans, unfortunately, uh, have, have a wrong sense of, you know, like, you know, if, if things get bad, I'm just going to get an airplane and I'm going to leave. And, you know, because you're a U.S. citizen or a Canadian, you know, chances are you can probably fly to whatever, 100 countries around the world, and you don't need a visa, right? Mm-hmm. You just show up, and they'll stamp your passport with a tourist visa, and you walk on into the country. The issue is, is 30, 60, 90 days later, you know, that tourist visa expires, and you're no longer welcome. Um, and so th- this idea, this notion that, well, things get bad, I'm just going to leave, um, is technically correct. You can get on an airplane and leave. The problem is, is can you stay wherever you end up? And what a second residency allows you to do, in Panama specifically, is it allows you to fly to Panama, 
and stay there for as long as you want up to the rest of your life. And, 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 and God forbid we get to a situation where, you know, that becomes necessary. Um, but, you know, in, in the old Boy Scout, you know, motto, you know, be prepared. And, you know, for me, having a second residency is like having, you know, health insurance. I mean, you know, nobody buys health insurance hoping that they have a heart attack next week so they get their money's worth, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, we don't buy health insurance for that reason. Um, we buy it as a, you know, be prepared for, for kind of a worst case scenario. And so having a second residency is like, you know, uh, insurance. Um, it gives us the ability to leave if we want to, need to, and stay somewhere for as long as we, you know, need or want to. Um, and the nice thing about pairing it up with the Teak, um, it, first of all, the Teak uh, ownership qualifies you for this residency in Panama. That's your that's your investment qualification, which is required uh, in Panama. Um, but the other nice thing is the, the, the Panama Teak, which is actually 19 years old, uh, is six, seven years away from harvest. Um, and and that, the time of harvest, the harvest proceeds actually more than pay for um, you know, the, uh, the second residency as well. So it's, it's really a nice way to, to get that residency insurance um, and then also you know, the teak. And then once the teak's harvested, same thing, it's replanted. Uh, and and you know the next generation uh, gets the next harvest. So um, it's it's a pretty neat it's a pretty neat product, and 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 the second residency you know gives you that ability. Now you ask about citizenship. Citizenship right is is different. It comes with the passport. Um, Panama doesn't really offer that program uh, because uh, uh, it, it has to do more with the U.S. Mm-hmm. and our. Uh, having a dual citizenship in Panama. Okay. Um, some countries uh, allow a dual citizenship. Panama uh, does not with the U.S. Um, there are other countries uh, that offer citizenship programs, um, and, and it's certainly something that if somebody's interested in acquiring a second passport, uh, lots of information. In fact, uh, a colleague of mine, uh, Dave Drummond at Georgetown Trust, um, he does a lot of work and, and, and a business partner, uh, Joel Nagel, uh, he, he does quite a bit of work helping folks, you know, come up with uh, you know plans that fit specifically for them on second citizenships. It, you know, second citizenship is more like a tailored suit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a residency program is you know buying clothes, you know, at the department store. You, you buy them off the rack and they fit pretty good. Um, but when you're starting to talk about a second citizenship, um, that's probably where you want to get a little bit more tailoring and a little bit more customization. Uh, so it, it makes sense to talk to somebody who can, you know, help work through that process with you and, and make sure that, you know, the, the citizenship that you're looking for, applying for, um, is a good fit. Let me just stop you for a second because I want to make sure that I, I'm clear on what you said. When you buy one of the Teak properties or that, that uh, investment, you don't, you don't necessarily have to start from something that's already and it needs to be planted, you can actually buy something that's imminently going to be harvested relatively, well, I wouldn't say relatively quickly, but I mean, you don't have yeah. to wait 25 years, basically. <laughs> you might be in there, but you're, it's going to be five years before it's able to be harvested. Is that, am yeah, I reading that it, correctly? Right. The, the, the Panama parcels, um, you know, we've positioned them to be 
uh, you know, sold alongside this residency package, and mm-hmm. that's the reason that people buy them, um, is to get the residency in Panama. Right. Um, but you're right. I mean, they'll be harvested in about seven years, six to seven years, uh, as opposed to 25, because, right, they're already 19 years old, and, 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 and they're big, giant teak trees already, which is pretty cool. I go down and visit them about once a year, and and it's nice to you know to go walk through the forest and and see the trees, but right, it's it's a much quicker time frame. Uh, it's a much lower uh, cost of entry. I think the, uh, the I'm not a hundred percent sure. I know it's less than twenty five thousand dollars for the teak parcel, uh, which is about a quarter acre, and all of the residency paperwork. I think it's twenty. 22 and change, call it 23,000. Wow. Um, but you end up with the really what you end up with. I, I'm not diminishing the value of the teak. The teak is a great, a great reason to, to do this. Mm-hmm. But the biggest reason to do it uh, in Panama specifically is that second residency, so that you you, know, you have the ability to, uh, to to leave and stay if that were ever to be you know become an issue. Wow, that's pretty impressive. I'm excited yeah. about that myself. I have to tell you now. As a medical show, we actually have to talk about medical care a little bit. Okay. I mean, these are these are developing countries, developed countries. What's their healthcare system like? Do people have to purchase, you know, air ambulance um, insurance? What do you recommend in terms of that? Or is there a limitation if you're not a healthy person that you really shouldn't think about this? But if you have, a, you know, health yeah. needs, is that an issue? Great, great question. I know we're running short on time, so mm-hmm. let me just give a, a kind of a, a highlight brief overview. I am a big fan of uh, expat insurance. Uh, several companies do it. The one that we owned, or the one that we used, um, you know, was a company called Bupa, B-U-P-A. Uh, they're out of Miami, Florida. They were phenomenal. They took great care of us. It was very affordable. It included all of our general coverage. Um, it also had the air evac, air ambulance mm-hmm. kind of services uh, as well. It covered us in, in, in every country of the world. Um, so so uh, expat insurance is available, uh, it, you know, and depending on what you're looking for, high deductibles, low deductibles, you know, there, there are a lot of plans out there. Um, but very, very affordable compared to, uh, you know, health insurance in the U.S., um, in terms of medical care itself, what you tend to find outside the U.S. and developing world is that in the major metropolitan areas, you have absolutely world-class health care. Uh, Panama City has a Johns Hopkins facility, uh, partnership facility. Um, in uh, Managua, Nicaragua, you have the Vivian Palace, which is a, uh, a JCI, you know, gold-accredited hospital. Mm. Costa Rica has the SEMA system. Um, you know, each of these countries has really, really uh, excellent health care, um, again, in the major metropolitan areas. And okay. so um, if you're in good health, you know, and, and it's just, you know, kind of the accidental stuff, um, live anywhere and you can, you know, get to a hospital hopefully, you know, before you bleed out kind of thing if you're in a car accident, right? Mm-hmm. But, but <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I just got to talk this way. But anyway, um, but, you know, if, if you need what I would call more constant medical care, maybe you've got a condition that requires, you know, periodic treatments or, 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 or you know, whatever it might be, then locating in, a ma- in or around a major metropolitan area 
uh, would make a lot of sense because you're going to be close to excellent health care, and the cost of that care will be unbelievably affordable. Um, you know, we, we used to we had a very high deductible in our plan. You know, Mike, but you know, I, I'd go to the hospital and I can't remember. I bang myself up once and Mike, you know, I'm I went so sorry. The doctor and she Mike, me I'm out. sorry to she cut you off, down. Mike. I because oh. we're we're running out of time, but I want to make okay. sure people get. How can they reach you? Oh, absolutely. Um, info. I-N-F-O, info at ecidevelopment.com. And if you would just stick on the subject line, attention, Mike Cobb, Dr. George, radio program, I'll know that you heard us. Uh, if you have an interest in anything specific, you know, drop it into the material part of the email and we'll, we'll get back to you. Thank you so much for coming on. I have to have you come back because you were just getting you. rolling. But thank you for coming on. I hope Indeed, you'll come thank back. You. And thank you, everybody, for listening to Medicine on Call. 